0: I'm John Cain, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. The year which will go down in history is the longest year in our lives, I'm sure. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native radio. We don't do prayers or buffalo speeches or get into any kind of Native mysticism, none of that stuff. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here from the Cataraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. We do it all live right here from the Cataraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. <clears throat> so Let's Talk Native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com, we stream live video of the show via Facebook Live on our Facebook group page and and a bunch of them. Uh, we take the audio and we put it up on soundcloud so it goes out as a podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms and we take the video and we put it up on our youtube channel which is let's talk native tv Uh, i encourage you to subscribe to our podcast and subscribe to our youtube channel so you can catch uh, not only the work that we do here in studio in our audio studio essentially but the the short form videos that we do as well uh all right i got a lot to to do today here um I do have a guest thats joining me i 've got uh, uh Desiree kane and i always, we always i have to qualify this now same last name same spelling um but we 're not related but we'll we will talk i mean we are related because we 're only one way but we we'll get into that a little bit later first let me um uh as as i've been doing since this whole pandemic thing has really um overtaken so much of the the news cycle Uh, I've got some numbers I've got to run so let me let me talk a little bit about um about COVID-19 we crossed uh a a, the 400,000 case mark in the United States um but again I gotta qualify the number these are these are cases confirmed by a test and I'm gonna stress that point because because the numbers are not accurate they're they're accurate in terms of you know the number of people tested and the and the and the positive tests uh that have come out of those the positive results that come out of those tests but again uh, across the four hundred thousand mark um the uh new cases for the day over thirty three thousand new cases for the day a uh, all these seems a lot of these numbers seem to be record setting but the 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 real uh, scary record set today was the number of um, new deaths for the day, uh, almost two thousand nineteen hundred and seventy new deaths for the for one day, bringing the the total number of deaths up to twelve thousand eight hundred and forty one for the twenty four hour period just preceding this show. Um, but you know, and I get my numbers from from a website. I've talked about it before. It's called Worldometers. Um, Dot info. They've got a bunch of you know stats that they run, but but they've um, put they've dedicated some some real good space to uh, to the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic, and you know something I posted the other day, and they and they you know they've got graphs and charts and all kinds of things. Um, they even give numbers on how much testing has been done, which in the United States still has not reached um, point. Seven percent over point seven percent of the u s population that's why I say the numbers are somewhat uh you know tough to to you know put that much confidence in but there was something that was that was posted in the on this page the other day um and it's it runs along the same lines of something that I've talked about on the show, which has to do with the deaths that are occurring that will never be attributed to this. Although should be and and this is what was written just uh, this is an estimated additional this is for New York City, an estimated additional one hundred and eighty to one hundred and ninety five deaths per day occurring at home in New York City due to covid nineteen are not being counted in the official figures early on in this crisis. Uh, we were able to swab people who died at home and thus got a coronavirus reading but those days are long gone we simply do not have the testing capacity for large numbers of um dying at home and this came from uh mark levine uh a chair of new york city council um the, the health committee so he, he's you know this is a this isn't a, a public official this isn't you know this isn't somebody spinning conspiracy theories now the other thing that is worth mentioning there's been a study um Uh, on the uh, by disease modelers at the University of Texas in Austin Um, and that states that given the low testing rates throughout the country they're assuming that one in ten cases um, are tested and reported so in other words if there's 400,000 confirmed via these tests cases then and this is a conservative number by the way then the likelihood is there's four million people who are who ha- who are positive or, or who have been positive some some have you know in all likelihood recovered some have died that uh, and they, as i said the numbers will be, never be tracked this is this is where this is at now you know it's funny i did a, a show before this whole thing came down i talked about our dystopian future is now i you know i don't i don't even know if i did it here or if i did it my, as my show in new york but it's we are at a place right now where not only is is this and I don't I never use the word surreal but it, are we living something that is not normal I don't care if you can call it new normal all you want it's not normal um and it's not even reality I mean it, it it is it's real but it's not the reality that any of us have ever lived before these are unprecedented times and the and the thing that makes it even more crazy or surreal is the fact that we have an unprecedented level of incompetence in the positions of leadership, not just in the United States. I'm not just talking about Trump. Yeah, he is the, he is the buffoon above, above all buffoons, don't get me wrong. But the level of incompetence that you're seeing in places like Brazil, you know, again, some of these these coups that are being attempted in places like Brazil and, or, I mean, uh, Venezuela and and uh, Bolivia, some of the leadership, the, the moron who's now you know, fighting for his life in the hospital in England, Boris Johnson, some of these buffoons who have managed in this world that we live in today to get to get themselves in positions of authority it's it's just incredible i mean and and of course it it exacerbates the issue uh in such a way and look this the dystopian future people have people have written about and made movies over it is now folks this is a crazy time and look we it is on us i mean the people i mean i'm not saying americans i just mean people (laughs) to come up with solutions to some of the problems that we're presented with and that leads me to my guest <laughs> my guest is is uh desiree kane she's Miwok, um uh and i believe that uh, that's from northern california if i'm not if i'm not mistaken hey john um, hey, hey desiree let me give you a little a little intro um okay. uh she is uh, one of the founders and the digital content editor slash director at pollen nations magazine she is part of the indigenous voices of the um poor People's Campaign. Um, and we just worked together on a, a webinar just this uh, past weekend associated with the poor people's campaign. Um, she is a a, a, a neighbor working on providing mutual aid in occupied territory, which is people know as, um, Colorado and, uh, and is, is a part of the rent strike and eviction eviction defense. Um, and which is part of what we're going to talk about. But she's also done work on uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. She's uh, founder of uh, Missing Indigenous Sisters Tool Tools Initiative, um, um, AKA Misty. Um, she has done camera work uh, for um, uh, the, some of the Standing Rocky exhibits that have been uh, that have been presented, uh, and is also not only done camera work, but she's uh, an, an associate producer on um, a documentary about um the battle of standing rock and we can talk a little bit about that as well um but let me um, introduce somebody that uh, that i've been asked for the last several years are you related to to desiree kane and i said no we are not related <laughs> but we spell our last name the same uh you're on one side of turtle island and i'm on the other although right now you're in colorado but our uh, uh, miwok that's from northern california is that right
1: Yes, thanks okay. for having me
0: on well Our, thanks for joining me
1: uh, sure, yeah, <clears throat> my ancestral territory is just outside of sacramento
0: okay, that's what I thought i you know i think i, I actually i i went there i I met with uh, some folks on the council uh there we were looking at doing some, some <clears throat> sustainable energy projects or something like that years and years ago but uh cool. um so i, I am am somewhat familiar but now you're now you're living in uh in the in mountain time right. <laughs>
1: Yep, I am in Estes Park, Colorado, in occupied Arapaho territory.
0: Now um, we did get a chance to to, um, to join each other on this uh, poor people's campaign, which explored the doctrine of Christian discovery, or the doctrine of discovery, and how it relates to uh, to you know causing essentially poverty. Uh, and that was all part of the the poor people's campaign and the repudiation of that. And we did that Saturday and Sunday. Uh, so you and I got a chance in the in the run up to that to talk a little bit, and and of course we both participated in that thing. So, um, which was it, was it was kind of interesting. I've never done a webinar th- before, so this was kind of new to me. But the you know it's what's necessary in these changing in these strange times that we're living in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, but you know as a, as we deal with this idea of poverty and people who are impoverished anyway that becomes exacerbated in a situation like this when you have uh, a pandemic um, where people of color and people of marginalized income become um, more vulnerable because uh, not only in a country like the United States where healthcare is not necessarily evenly distributed, um, you have people who live in jobs that are at higher risk. You You know, when people talk about essential services, it sounds like those are important, important jobs, and they are, but the reality is much of these, these, these jobs that are being delegated as essential services are to serve, are to serve others, like, like serving people at fast food restaurants and drive-thrus and, and clerks at restaurants, and a lot of those people, and these are not high-paying jobs. They may be essential, and we know they're essential now but they aren't getting paid like essential workers and these are the folks who are oftentimes in especially urban populations disproportionately people of color so they are placed at a disproportionate level of risk because they aren't home quarantining themselves and they don't get the time off they aren't getting all of these benefits from the from this new uh you know stimulus package and in fact they're struggling uh, oftentimes working multiple jobs where now they've they're down to one of them and at the same time we we, we see more and more people who who may be losing their jobs who are still expected to pay um, pay rent in a in a uh, in a world that is increasingly difficult when it comes to uh, b- providing adequate housing for people
1: yep that's right
0: so, let, why don't you give a little bit of uh, how you got involved in this this this, this movement in Colorado, and uh, and where where it's at at this point?
1: Sure, a group of us did a "What's Wet" and solidarity protest not three weeks before this coronavirus uh, pandemic crisis that we're in. And we all synced up and under the leadership of uh, Indigenous Two-Spirit that this is their territory out here. So when it came time to organize around um, the Colorado rent strike and eviction defense, we were already under the same understandings as a group. So we started a Facebook group and... It just kind of took off from there over the course of uh, about 10 to 12 days we ballooned from seven of us total to I think we're at 3700 now
0: hmm well and um, it also captured uh, a fair amount of media attention as well
1: that's accurate Uh, I have done a decent amount of media work trying to get indigenous voices and indigenous representation of our issues into the media as part of my career. So I leveraged that to make sure that as we face pandemic levels of houselessness now, um, you know, that we were positioned to do so.
0: Well, and, and, i mean the the housing crisis uh exists in many places um and it's usually worse in, in some of the urban environments but in in many of the economies that exist there's there are the haves and the have-nots and and the people who um who are not property owners the people who are really the most vulnerable because there's there there's very little rent control in in many of the cities and uh, and there's always these people who know how to get around any of these rent controls so there are people who are priced out of um out of homes in every almost in every urban environment i mean i've got a lot of friends uh in in hawaii um, and you know the the homeless population in places like hawaii or, or California, for that matter, but in hawaii is um is incredible because the the military artificially inflates the the price of housing because of the the number of people that are in the military there, and of course tourism disproportionately um, uh it raises the the property levels and and the wealthy who go there. So so if you're you know of, of marginalized income, you are the most vulnerable people and and this obviously has to be the case in Colorado.
1: It is. We have a fairly robust tourist market because we have Rocky Mountain National Park here, so we have the same situations in our cities and in our tourist economies that are affected. We also have a governor who is worth three hundred and eighty-four million dollars? Who is a landlord? Who is refusing to take action on a rent, mortgage, and utilities freeze? Because yet again, you know, these folks, the settlers, they want us to bleed money so that they remain rich.
0: You know, it's funny. I was just I was just watching a documentary on on television before I uh, came down to my studio, and it, and it really talked about you know how coming out of the slave era how uh how necessary it was to get all those people back to work and you know now as wage earners but but really inadequate wage earners and and of course it wasn't just you know former slaves but it was you know irish immigrants and and other people who the united states and, and the elite were viewing all of the impoverished people not just you know not just native people or people of color but anybody who was below a certain poverty line the elite of the United States looked at them as not only necessary to maintain their wealth, but the biggest threat to uh, to losing it.
1: Mm-hmm. The United States uh, general population is really having a wake-up call as to how truly violent this government is.
0: Well, and, and it's funny because you, when you look at the role that um, police have played in, in everything from rigging elections to to protecting um uh you know management and manufacturing and that kind of stuff i mean the police literally have been these these armed security guards uh i mean there were there were actually laws against people leaving work if you if you, you know, found your work your workplace to be um Uh, unsuitable, you could actually be arrested or even beaten by police officers or by management, and it was legal. And, and of course, it's, it's, you see that happening to people of color, but even non people, you know, white people who were on the lower end of that poverty scale were subject to all this. That's why you had, you know, people doing, you know, some of the labor, like whether it's for the railroad or the canals or, you know, some of the, the most dangerous work. Uh, there was a, there was a way that you could you know look at people as just you know um, the, the, whether somebody died on the, on the on the job it was just the cost of doing business.
1: Hmm. Well, Thanks. tell me
0: tell me a little bit more. Uh, okay, so. What are there specific events? I know that you, uh, there's you, you've got petitions, you, you've got names. You're getting um, a lot of people involved in this um, uh, in this rent strike uh, and an eviction defense. But but give a little more detail to to what what's at stake here.
1: Well, basically, um, our governor is humoring this idea that the newly houseless and the houseless population could be housed in the. Cattle auction arena that we have in Denver instead of allowing luxury apartments, which could house everyone, to be seized by the state and opened to house the community. So what I'm doing and what our group is doing, we've got people phone banking, we've got Twitter storms, we've got petitions, we've got all the things going all the way up to a COVID-safe rolling rally that we're planning, where people remain in their vehicles and don't get out, but we make our voices heard, honk our horns, have banners on the side of our vehicles. This is something that was very effective in the fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. Our very presence as water protectors, when we would show up with our cars, would shut down construction. So we're utilizing that tactic as people are looking to take meaningful action because they're having to choose between do I fight with my landlord and give them the money or do I feed my children? Do I get medicine? Like, do I feed myself? What do I do? So, in Colorado- I mean, and, and
0: this government does not see, you know, just... I mean, even the metaphor that is created by him, thinking you can house homeless in cattle uh cattle barns
1: no he doesn't he keeps telling us this regurgitated rhetoric around wearing masks that has these heavy overtones of like masking the issues
0: sure sure well and 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 there are i mean look there there are places right I mean, there, there are vacant i mean i I saw you had put a list up of uh of all of these. Luxury condos and and the amount of you know space that's available, you know that that I'm sure one of the issues isn't even just the money; it's the clientele that they're that they're concerned about.
1: Yeah, it's the same class warfare that we've seen for you know since Columbus was found lost at sea in 1492.
0: Well and and of course gentrification which uh, you know people associate with um with with you know especially older you know older cities right they they don't think about gentrification in the population centers that have been tied to the tourism industry but that's absolutely what happens i mean because you know as as tourism spreads or as luxury condos spread in areas that have um d- developed economically they you know, it, it all—it's—it's it's always going to push people out of, um, especially the, the people who are on the low end of the uh, economic scale, and it's the effort is to—is to get rid of any of that low-income housing, uh, to clear out areas, and and it, and it, and the 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 crazy part is, even the wealthy, absolutely, or especially the wealthy, they rely on, uh, on the labor from from the very people that they they want to refuse to accommodate with any type any type of programs for housing
1: yeah and i think that there's a lot of fear that they're going to be joining our ranks in short order Mm
0: -hmm. well and you know of course that's always the concern right anytime you see marginalized people working together um it uh you know that really does concern you know it does concern the elite and and that's you know obviously what we're seeing here i don't know in the intro i'm sure you heard i'm I'm listening to you know to how this thing is playing out and and, and i'll tell you right or left uh, on the political scale some of the some of the things that you hear come out of people's mouths are it, it's just incredible like i said the, the idea that somebody can't even understand that the, the overtone of, of, of placing homeless people into in uh into cattle auction barns and they and they think that they, they i mean he probably thinks it's a good idea
1: yeah, he's looking for a big auditorium to house folks in, which is, you know, frankly unsafe if we're dealing with a pandemic where germs spread. So he's attempting to set up a situation where there's mass death, like we're seeing in New York, where there were 700-plus people that died overnight. He's trying to manufacture that in Colorado, and that's what we're looking at.
0: Well, I mean, and then then take a look at something like Wisconsin, where instead of being prudent and putting off a, a you know, an election primary, our, our primary election they 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 go ahead and line people up which you know is the antithesis of social distancing and you know there, there will all like in all likelihood in wisconsin be an uptick in the spread of the coronavirus due specifically to uh to you know to those who you know, and I, and I got, I'm sorry, I, I'm not a big fan of the election process. I'm mean, in the way it works mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, you know, from everything from the electoral college to super delegates that the you know the Democrats oh, use God. to, yeah. um, I mean, frankly, even to the, the to the distribution of uh, of representation that is, uh, you know, like every state having two senators regardless of their size. I and mean, there's so much that is wrong with the system. Every state has their own system for uh, you know for doing an election. And it is such a debacle. And I, you know, I just wonder at what point do the people revolt enough to say, look, I'm not even going to participate. I mean, I, I know everybody, and I, I'm constantly getting into battles with people who say, oh, no, you really got to go out and vote. Vote is so important. But at some point, the system is so broken that unless some major effort to to specifically cast a no-confidence vote I don't know if anything's ever going to change. I mean, if if Joe Biden, you know, t- you know, manages somehow to to beat Donald Trump in the uh, in in the next election, does that fix anything? I, I'm Absol- I'm not no, sure.
1: <laughs> no, no. Joe Biden is also like he gets a D from Greenpeace, which means he gets more than an F from the indigenous community and our concerns about the environment. Neoliberals are not our friends, just like Republicans aren't. And I gotta challenge you a little bit, John. The system's working how it's supposed to. It is meant <laughs> to eradicate and make people voiceless.
0: No, no, that, you're not challenging me there. You're, you're but you, well, you, <laughs> but. Most people don't realize that decision, that, that this, the system was designed this way. I mean, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, if, just think about what they did, not only with the electoral college, but even, uh, even during slavery, the idea that they, the three-fifths compromise, because, you know, I, again, I was listening to a documentary and they said, well, and so, so, um, slaves were counted as three-fifths of a man. No, they weren't. They weren't counted. They were, their th- what was counted was the white people who, who claimed to own them. Were, they were getting credited. They were getting more representation. Black folks weren't getting representation out of the Three-Fifths Compromise. Slave owners were getting more representation, and, and they were getting credited three fifths of every black man that they claimed to own. I mean, it, it, the mm-hmm. the system and the way it's even taught. So yeah, when you look at the system, no, it's it's doing exactly what it was intended. It was it was to, it was to support wealthy white men. That's that's what the whole system was built for, and so you know. So when we say, "Well, how is it we still have this this um, you know this disparity?" Well, because it was built to be um, uh, non equal. I mean, this isn't you know the, the result of a of a failure. This is a system that was designed to be this way.
1: Yeah, and now they're just uh, you know trying to do the incrementalist nonsense of reconciling capitalism right now. That's all what we're seeing.
0: Well, and and, if, and I'll tell you, if if this pandemic that is happening today does one thing, and my co-host from my show in New York, uh, Regan DeLoggins, you know, she says, look, if there's one thing this this pandemic is demonstrating, is the failure of capitalism. I mean, in 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 every possible way, everything mm-hmm. from supplies, you know, chain um, to uh, you know, again, the elitism involved, the the idea of rejecting, I mean, the idea of measuring trying to and somehow create an equation where the economic risks are balanced against lives i mean that's that's an incredible that's an incredible calculation to make and of course we've seen calculations done done that way and everything from you know from war to you know regime changes to you know all of these you know you know these economic trade wars all of these things that go on you know there's always this calculus that at some point the loss of life is justified um there's a dollar figure that 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 can be put on it
1: yeah this time though i'm not sure that people are willing to give up their grandma so that the gdp can go up 0.3 percent
0: but the people in power are willing to give up your grandma Yes. That's and that there lies the problem, right? Mhm. Yeah, there lies the problem. Hey, we're at the bottom of the hour. So, I'm going to take a break. Do you want to stick around for uh, for the uh, next half hour or you got someplace you got to go?
1: Yeah, let's do it. All right.
0: All right. All right. This I've got Desiree Kane, um same last name, although we're only related by virtue of being on um, way um, she, she is my guest we'll uh she'll she will stay with us after the break and uh we'll well we'll mix it up a little bit more uh this is this is fun and it's great to have you so uh, we'll do it uh after our break this is john kane this is let's talk native all right thanks for coming back this is john kane and this is let's talk native hey i want to thank my my sponsors i want to thank ross and holly john and the rje family of businesses i want to thank uh eric white and erw enterprises the good folks at grand river enterprises and native wholesale supply and the folks uh at the cat res smoking gas shops um look and i also want to thank those of you who who share the show whether you share it on facebook and you know do the the shares across the the group pages those of you who share the um the podcast and the and the youtube videos um, i appreciate all of it um i do again want to suggest that people check out our website which is letstalknative.com uh there you'll you'll find the links to our podcast links to our to our videos and i've got a little bit of a photo gallery um but we also have a store. So if you want to see some of the products we have, we've got some Let's Talk Native merch. Uh, but we also have Missing and Murder Indigenous Women shirts. We've got uh, my white skin uh, shirts out there for those of you who want to make a statement against uh, a team with a similar name. Um, we also, uh, Jake did a great job designing a few shirts that uh, that you know, might raise a few eyebrows. Uh, Lincoln with a noose, uh, the executioner that he is uh, representing uh, his role with the dakota 38 uh, some of the wizard of oz the uh, uh considering the role that l frank bomb played in calling for the genocide of native people some some great wizard of oz shirts uh run at the Gaia shirts. so yeah anyway check it out um so there's some great uh there's some great wear that uh, will be conversation starters for you if you want to check those out and uh and it does go to support what we do here um and again, so I, I thank you guys for for sharing, um, you know, some of what we do here. My guest is uh, is Desiree Kane. She is a um, uh, she she does a bunch of uh, um, events. Um, she is an editor. She is a photojournalist. She is a um, uh, a multimedia journalist. She is involved in um, one of the uh, mutual aid efforts in in Colorado to. Uh, uh, reject you know do, do a rent rent strike and uh, an ev- eviction defense, but she's also involved in a couple of other projects so does Desiree if you would um why don 't you a couple of things i know you've got a couple of projects that you probably want to promote i know you've done uh you, you've got the documentary that you were working on with standing rock um but let's let's take a few minutes and talk about how people can see your work and and any of the um uh, any of the things that you want to promote sure
1: uh the thing that I'm working on right now um- is a three times a week podcast on Pollination Magazine, which is Coronavirus in Indian Country, News Native People Need About Coronavirus. So we've been doing these podcasts that are about an hour long featuring important um, legal information, housing information. Um, We're getting ready to do one that focuses on ICWA tomorrow, the Indian Child Welfare Act. And really looking at how these things are being impacted by COVID-19 because it's impacting every aspect of our lives so
0: I do that and well interesting I just want to jump in here for a second I know some of the work that you do with missing and murdered indigenous women ironically (laughs) um a lot of these man camps and the and these pipelines that are oftentimes connected to uh to like the you know the the you know the uh, what is the highway of tears and so much. Yeah. These things are considered essential services. So so these things can uh, continue uh, st- continuing to keep uh, in place our our, uh, our women and uh, two spirits and others uh, in uh, in jeopardy. So uh, you know yeah. so you're right. Even with you would think if there was ever a time that people should feel secure because they're supposed to be home quarantining, that's not necessarily the case uh, in with some of these things that plague our people.
1: That's right. In Colorado, we have one of the most fracked counties in North America, Weld County, and those fracking rigs are still going up. The pipelines are still being laid. The man camps are still being erected and operating. So it's a really big concern because nothing has stopped. The only thing that has stopped is they're now unchallenged
0: well and, and exactly because now they're 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 suggesting that protesting should be illegal even if the activity that we're protesting uh, uh, is considered an essential service so i know i don't know anybody yet that has been hauled away although i did hear something about uh at one of the uh issues in in hawaii where uh, where a protester was arrested but i know that this is the threat that's out there so if you show up at a you know Again, even even doing a simple thing like uh, didn't you somebody try to call the cops on you for wanting to to do a drive by uh, 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 a drive by pro- protest?
1: Yeah, that happened a couple days ago. I posted a poll in the group that said would people want to do a rolling rally? And this person lost it and called the cops, and they said I was threatening to attack other people.
0: <laughs> well, and of course, this, you know they they have added. Um, uh legal i guess cover to to go after those of us who who are trying to protest some of this environmental damage by suggesting that we're violating you know perhaps these these stay-at-home orders and that kind of stuff so um mm-hmm. yeah so they have, they have they have added effort to it and I, look and i'm not suggesting that stay-at-home orders aren't important in in light of all this stuff but the way they get the, the way they get manipulated Uh, So even something that that somebody can suggest has value gets twisted uh, uh, twisted around in such a way that... I mean, look, uh, in New York, a liquor store is considered an essential service. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a debate, and in fact... Um, there's a debate on whether a gun store is. I mean, uh, they weren't included in the essential services, so of course you've got the the Second Amendment folks saying saying that. Oh, in this time of need, uh, a gun store is an essential service. So, you know, the idea that these things are essential services, but the, but the work that we do in trying to in, in terms of tr- protecting the planet or protecting uh, marginalized people becomes something frivolous, I guess, as far in their eyes.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I do with my work in uh, with MISTI, which is a Missing Indigenous Sisters Tools Initiative, is to equip family-led searches in the search for the missing. So it's basically uh, workbooks and resources for when a relative goes missing, police don't care, and the family becomes the um, the search party. And when we have a situation where The police are not going to come look for a Native woman or anybody right now because we are non-essential as a community. So a lot of it is there may be, you know, liquor stores, pot dispensaries, those are all essential. But as we've been told over hundreds of years, we are not essential, not in this moment, not anytime. So we're working to get families equipped with the tools that they need to better search for the missing.
0: Well, and and, and again, putting it in uh, uh, some historical perspective, we were never even... um, a major part of the slave trade. So we weren't even considered essential as, uh, as slave labor. Uh, Oftentimes we were regarded Mm -hmm. more as in the way. Um, You you brought up a, um, I don't know if it was a, um, an ad that was put out in in California during the gold rush that talked about um, your, your people specifically, especially uh, women who were Miwok saying that they were, they were great for labor or lust.
1: I'd, right. I'd never that, heard
0: that before, and it blew me away when you were saying that.
1: Right. I found that in the library, in a book, in the little town where my family's at, I own California, like advertisements for buying my relatives, the little girls, for for the most expensive, for lust or labor.
0: Lust or labor. I mean, that's, I mean, when I talk about the rape culture of, the, uh, of not only the Europeans but of the United States, I mean uh, – you know there could be no greater example of that than the idea of of, of you know promoting you know the sale of uh of little girls for uh, for labor or lust i mean that's incredible that's incredible mm-hmm. oh man uh, th- tell me a little bit about the work you did uh okay there's a there's a standing rock um exhibit that was done what in um in santa fe
1: yeah, that's in the Santa Fe Museum of Indian Arts and Crafts. It's a, a display. It's called Beyond Standing Rock, or mm-hmm. rather an installation at the museum. It features 26 of my images and uh, all Native photographers, art makers, all that sort of thing to uh, commemorate, you know, the resistance that was present at Standing Rock, standing with the Standing Rock Sioux tribe and the youth that started that movement.
0: Mm-hmm. and and uh, and you've also been working uh, now is this uh documentary that you've that you 've been a part of is, is that a completed project or or one that's still in uh, uh, in process
1: it's a little bit of both. We premiered it at Sundance Film Festival in two thousand and seventeen, but like with most things um, around native issues, we really have to be sure not to speak over or for a community. Um, and so after we premiered, we went back and reworked it a little bit more, made it a little bit better, and it'll be coming out hopefully early this summer. And what's it's the name called, of that? It's Akichita, the Battle of Standing Rock.
0: Now, the interesting thing, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, about trying to um, make sure that you're not speaking over uh, over over a community or the, or the, or the people that you're, that you're intended to help because that gets difficult also because you there's always this separation and standing rock is a perfect example of of the tribe or the council and the people and the, and again the overwhelming amount of um not not just native people but allies who went there to support it's easy for the whole project to get away from people and and lose sight of well what is the process for trying to resist some, such a thing i mean the the and the politics of it all when you when you realize just how close dave Archambo and his sister were to uh to you know president obama and 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 the obama administration's role in the the dakota access pipeline it it leads to an awful lot of conflict internal conflict and and it leaves you know obviously a lot of uh dissension within a community so it, it must be very difficult when you when you do a project like the one that you were involved in, knowing that you're you you're never going to satisfy um all of the opinions of everybody in a community because those opinions are not um they're not uniform
1: yeah that's true. You know, the thing that really just kind of made me sad was there was all this support, quote-unquote, for Standing Rock, but the level of co-option, at the end of the day, Standing Rock came out of that with $22 million in debt. And, 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 a, and a
0: whole lot of people who got famous and, and and you know, created careers out of the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was just truly sad watching people just not... They came in, they took, and then they left. And I just, I still talk with people who live in Standing Rock that I consider my close relations. And they're, you know, the issues still remain that were persistent beforehand, except now the tribe has less money to support people.
0: Well, and and part of the problem is, you know, you have people who, who were hell bent on going there just because they wanted to say they went there. And you know, I, I didn't go. I didn't go because I didn't think there was anything I could add to what the people, you know, the, the incredible population that was already there. And in fact, frankly, if I went there, I think I would have been disappointed at the, you know, at the the lack of actual nonviolent direct action and the kind of things that, that could have had effect change. Instead, it, it almost looked to me like it had a bit of a party atmosphere that, uh, on some levels, among certain groups there, and uh, and that that I found disturbing.
1: Yeah, there was an influx of white Burning Man weirdos that came out with their <laughs> glitter and, you know, belly shirts and things like that. It was just really <laughs> offensive. And there was a lot of conflict with that particular community that came out because they were straight out of Burning Man. Yeah. And we were like, go home. What are you doing here? I was there almost eight months and saw a whole bunch of different groups come in and leave and... The festival community—they wanted to help, I think, maybe—but what they wanted to do was take selfies and they wanted to raise money for themselves. It was so offensive and just, frankly, disgusting. Well, even
0: <laughs> e- frankly, even the veterans groups—I I found that, uh, you know, I was I was very conflicted over that because you know, look, just because you have a a um, a past that is, that represents war, I don't know that the, that you know, I mean, it's almost like they like they were suggesting that they were going to you know mount some sort of violent conflict over this and of course didn't i mean they didn't they did very little in the end while on one hand i support i you know i appreciate the support that we get from from all of these groups but it, it it gets really really difficult because we don't line up politically with with a lot of these groups before during or after these conflicts
1: Heck no, John. You know what happened is we allowed the infiltrators in the damn front door. With the veterans came a level of um, gover- U.S. government involvement that organizers like myself, boots on the ground, we were not prepared for Pro. Oh, we yeah. were not prepared for all of that, and we let them in the front door. Wes Clark Jr., came out on a radio show and said that he was informing the fbi so the guy that led the veterans was an fbi informant
0: well and look at the one remaining person locked up um is was locked up because of you know getting you know because of the relationship he had with a, uh an fbi informant and you know and, and a, a ridiculous you know gun charge why is that guy not in jail you know i mean the the whole thing is 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 absurd and, and it shows the level of you know uh, of infiltrators that make make it into these uh, in these into these kind of groups
1: yeah and you know the story of red Fawn, she's not the only story there oh i'm sure are- yeah. You know, probably a dozen or so storylines that haven't played out yet that will in time just like with wounded knee 30 years later they were still indicting people. I think we can expect that with Standing Rock.
0: Sure, sure. And you know, and and, and that's why, you know, for for me when when I saw the way the support was was um was mounting for Wet'suwet'en territory Mm-hmm. I, I liked it the, a whole lot better when, when, when we t- took a stand in our own home communities to support somebody, to, to support a conflict, rather than everybody feeling like the, the... I mean, the last thing that anybody in Wet'suwet'en would want would, would be 10,000 people showing up, littering up their beautiful, uh, their beautiful land, uh, land out there. And so the idea of roadblocks in Tendinaga and Ganawage and, and Oswego and, and, and so many, not just the Mohawk territories, but other territories, the idea of people saying, no, I can fight canada here i can fight the united states here i don't need to you know to, to burden an uh a community i mean there were there were a few women that i that went to standing rock to give birth they went mm-hmm. there specifically because they wanted to have their child there it's like are you kidding me
1: mm-hmm yeah Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not convinced after that very extended experience that I had there that having the tactic of these big camps is necessarily the answer because of the, the level of political education that had to be done to get people in a place where they could actually defend the water constructively
0: right i agree i you know and look there there are a lot of ways to attack the the infrastructure that goes into these pipelines without necessarily having to be at the job site you know or in in that case most of those people never took a frontline position there I mean, at one point there, there, it was estimated there were 10,000 people there those 10,000 uh, people uh, excuse me
1: 12,000.
0: Those 12,000 people never showed up and squared off face-to-face with, with a construction crew. And I'm not even saying that was a good idea, but that never happened anyway. And instead you had, you you created a lot of need and a burden on a, on a community. And that, that ends up being something that once you leave, you never have to look back.
1: Right. There was no accountability to the local community. They came in, they took, and then they left. And Standing Rock, you know, from the folks that I know that live there, are, they're still in the same position that they were before everyone came. And that doesn't seem like the ethos that we came there with, which is to leave it better than we found it.
0: Sure. Sure. Well, and, and of course there's also a lot of people who, um, uh, you know, hypocrites who show up in the, in these places, native and non-native who show up in these places to, to earn a name, not just, and not just for, you know, for money, but for fame and recognition. And we, we see so much of that. I mean, I, i I say in my intro that i you know i'm not afraid to step on a few toes along the way because look, there are people in the native community some of these very iconic images that uh that everybody wants to the quote everybody wants to cite, and yet when you look at their histories, you realize these people have done you know have been more parts of the problem than they have parts of the solution but you know but they're loved by the non-native public they you know they're the ones who are going to get on democracy now they're the ones who are going to be you know highlighted in uh, you know in in the well-funded documentaries that get produced out of these kinds of things
1: mm-hmm. our film was the only one that had an all indigenous film crew well, that there you I know. go.
0: There you go. Well, and 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 again, you know, if you're if when you try to go for for reality, you realize that you don't have you don't have to go approach it with a foregone conclusion on what you want. I mean, I say the same thing about you know when I talked about uh, justice or I talked about science. You should be able to look at the evidence and let the story go where the story takes you you shouldn't go in there with a story that you want to tell and then try to fit all the pieces together so you can build your own your own plot out of out of bits and pieces of what you were able to you know pull out of a community
1: mm-hmm. yeah some people came away nonprofits and whatnot with millions of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars and that's just offensive that's not how we do one another
0: well, and and the tough part is, look, I you know being you know here and in, in working doing a show in New York and and now the the work that I do here in Seneca Territory, you know I got I got asked the question lots of times. Well, how do I how do I how how do I help? Where do I send money and that kind of thing? And that becomes you know that becomes a really really difficult thing i see you know so when we talk about divestment and we talk about boycotting you know i'll tell people look there's more that you can do to affect you know the the businesses that support these kinds of things but just thinking that you can write a check and send it someplace and think oh there i checked my box i did my my good deed for for humanity i think sometimes that's um that's the 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 short answer and it's and it's not it, it rarely is the good answer
1: Right, it's a total cop out. More yeah. capitalism is not the answer.
0: Exactly, and you know, especially when you think about, you know, again, even even the most basic banking services that you know that that these institutions are connected to, almost everybody could play a role in in affecting um, where the investment comes on, on on some of this stuff. I mean, if the, if there's one thing, you know, as I watch this uh, uh, this pandemic and this COVID nineteen pandemic play out i'm one of the people who who, you know applaud the crash of the stock market and you know Mm -hmm. every time it goes up a little bit i i cringe and you know and it just it it just frustrates me even more i mean uh i mean i look at where the 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 opportunists that are are looking even during a uh the crash of an economy how they're going to make the next buck on this stuff and and you know and that's you know every time we've been involved in a conflict and historically, there have always been those that are that were going to, you know, come up behind, uh, either to exploit our story or make money off of what uh, what they were able to strip from us.
1: Yeah, and you know what's really frustrating, but also powerful: some of the same banks that the very powerful Standing Rock divestment campaigns um Targeted, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, those are the same folks that are sending eviction notices through lawyers to people now after they've had weeks of no income. So those banks right now, they're very weak. The Standing Rock divestment movement costs the bank something like $2 trillion. Mm-hmm. That is power. We need to be going after those banks the same as we're going after the politicians because they're in bed together the exact same way as we saw with no KXL, the same way as no Dapple the same way as what's what.
0: Right. And I, I agree with that 100 percent. And and that number throwing numbers like that out there so people know where where the effectiveness comes from because i think that's that's part of the problem i mean i you know there are people that we i don't think people can appreciate the power that they have and the power to influence that they have and you know i think the more that people realize that it, it isn't it isn't look I, I i i'm i'm not a big one on spirituality so i think you know praying and voting isn't the way that you're going to get out of these problems there there are some some real um, specific things that we all can do and we all should do and um, and i and when i look at you know those who will say well i send my thoughts and prayers um and then on on one side of their mouth and, and then they'll they'll advocate people you know who the next candidate is that they should vote you know I, I i produced a sticker that said um you know the sticker for native people is uh you know i i just contributed to the you know uh to my oppression to you know by by supporting the next agent of my oppression i mean i as, mm-hmm. it wasn't just a we vote uh, i voted sticker it was i contributed to the the agents of my oppression and and that's you know where and the agents aren't like you said they aren't just the elected officials the they are these these financial institutions and we need to do more you know we talked about this during the the poor people's campaign there has to be a stronger effort put forward to to solidify local economies the, the kind of and, when, and i don't mean economies based even necessarily on on currency but how we we have relationships with each other the the people who are, we are not only closest to but the people who we are politically and culturally aligned to we need to have better relationships when it comes to that
1: Yeah. Although, you know, John, I think that there is a place for prayer and action in the same breath, right? When you go to the bank and you're pulling out your money and you're doing it as a form of nonviolent direct action in solidarity with relatives, that is a type of prayer, but I do agree that you can't just pray away your woes. You have to have action behind those prayers. Even
0: even the notion of prayer, though, it's the kind of thing that should be infectious. You know, you know when you know when I think about culturally, you know, um, the the act of um, of giving thanks or appreciation, there, it isn't just that you're trying to thank you know some nebulous you know spiritual creature or mystic creature you do it to to be infectious with the, with the young people and the people around you you want to show the act of uh, of acknowledgement whether it's the you know whether it's words that uh, that are said when when game is taken or when seeds are planted it isn't that you know that 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 deer who has fallen is isn't happy to be your next dinner and, and, and whether you, you uh, burn tobacco isn't going to determine whether the plants come out of the ground or not. But you do that because you're trying to teach the, the people around you and you're trying to show the appreciation around you. So that's, the, to me, the value of prayer is that, that, it, that it's meant to be a teachable moment. You know, even the Pope said, if you pray to end hunger, the first thing you should do is to feed somebody. You know, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I agree with you on that. I agree with. I'm just. It's just not. I, I see people looking at at things like, um, like prayer and and voting as as their act of you know you know their civic responsibility and and I think it that far is way, falls way too short if we don't take some action that goes along I mean look by all means mm-hmm. vote by all means pray if that's what I mean but don't let that be the only thing that you do
1: yeah don't have that be the performative allyship of sending thoughts and prayers over the internet while people around you suffer
0: <laughs> exactly well Desiree I want to thank you so much for joining me look um <laughs> i'd like to have you back i mean i don't i don't want to i'm gonna say she needs no introduction in future shows so why don't uh why don't we plan to do this again we'll 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 stay in touch and we'll uh we'll touch base and um we'll continue to tell people the name is just it's it's just a coincidence Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but as far as i'm concerned you you are kin we are related so uh let's let's Mm -hmm. keep something going here
1: yeah, thanks for the opportunity, John. Talk to you later.
0: All right, thank you very much for joining me. That's uh, that's uh, Desiree Kane. Um, no family relationship, but uh, related through um, our our only kinship, I guess. So uh, I want to thank uh, Desiree for, for joining me for the hour. Um, great stuff. Um, great work that she's doing, and you know what she demonstrates is that there there is work to be done. If you don't know what to do, then then look, reach reach out to some folks. Reach out to folks like like Desiree, and and find out what can you do in your community. What are the actions that are happening in in one community that can be replicated in in another to to stand up to some of what's going on? I think it's a, it's a terrible situation when you consider that two trillion dollars was was set aside. That is mostly going to go in the pocket uh, pockets of wealthy uh, of the wealthy, and and yet there's still going to be those people out there who are going to criticize whether whether somebody you know um is getting too much uh you know you know to support their family um it, it seemed to me if you, if you support a family you didn't need to support corporations because those corporations uh those those heads of corporations um they have families too but instead that's not the way things go um look we'll continue to do some uh the covid updates uh as we go from show to show and um look the numbers are getting pretty grim so uh look for my posts on facebook and on twitter and uh, we'll be back here on thir- on on saturday i should say um you can tune us in or follow us on uh, on facebook as we do our show on thursday our wbai show uh, let's talk with john kane and regan de um we will continue to do our show we're doing it remotely and we're doing our our best on the safe distancing stuff but um we'll we'll continue to pound on some of these issues um Both political, social, and economic. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.